Welcome to The Table Podcast, where we discuss issues of God and culture. Brought to you by Dallas Theological Seminary. Hello, I'm Bill Hendricks, Executive Director for Christian Leadership at the Hendricks Center at Dallas Seminary. And I want to welcome you to The Table Podcast, where we discuss issues of God and culture. In the very last paragraph of his blockbuster book, Good to Great, Jim Collins makes the perceptive observation that people crave meaning. But he goes on to say that it's very difficult to have a meaningful life apart from meaningful work. And today, young adults are demonstrating that reality by droves because they want work that matters. They want work that gives them a sense of purpose and meaning, and they want that at the beginning of their career, not at the end of their career. And so today, we have two uh, young adults who are students at Dallas Seminary with us, Kevin Gottlieb from the Washington, D.C. area, and Tristan Tenney, who is from West Virginia. They're students here, and they have been working in a program that we call the William N. Garrison Faith and Work Fellowship. And I wanted them to talk about their experience with that as a way to highlight this whole way in which churches and church leaders can help people understand the meaning and the significance of their work and see how it fits into a life of discipleship. The name of the fellowship, by the way, uh, William and Garrison, uh, was an attorney in Fort Worth, uh, a, a very good friend of my father, Howard Hendricks, and also on the board of Dallas Seminary for many years. And he was an outstanding example and model of how you integrate your faith into your day-to-day work. And so in his honor, we named this fellowship uh, for him. And it is underwritten by the Kern Family Foundation with a very generous grant to make it possible for students to uh, take this fellowship. And what it entails is that for a half a day each week, the student, the fellow, will visit a business somewhere here in the or, – or another workplace here in the Dallas-Fort uh, Worth area under the sponsorship of a Christian leader who works at that place. And the idea is for them to understand the kind of work being done there, the kind of theological issues that that work raises, and to think meaningfully about how would I go about pastoring these people who work here if I was their pastor. Uh, Kevin, since you were the first fellow Mm -hmm. and sort of helped us inaugurate the program, tell us just a little bit about your experience with it, what what attracted you to it, Mm -hmm. and uh, uh, we'll get into some of the things you, you actually did. Yeah, so I um, I was the Faith and Work Fellow in the um, fall of last year, uh, two years ago actually, and what attracted me to the fellowship is I was uh, entering my third year of seminary, and you know I'd learned a lot about theology, I'd learned about a lot about the Bible, and um, how to teach and preach, um, but one of the areas that I felt was lacking was the area of integration into the workplace. Um, for many years in my seminary career, I was working full-time and doing seminary part-time. And what I discovered is I kept running into a lot of you know ethical issues and um, just complicated situations that weren't so black and white. And I think a lot of times the church presented workplace issues as here's right and here's wrong and there's kind of nothing in between. And so when I was when I saw the fellowship, I realized, wow, this would be a great way to kind of explore what does it mean to be in the Christian in the workplace, and what what does it mean to actually work for the glory of God. I think that's an area that's not often discussed. So that's kind of what drew me to the fellowship. Gotcha. Yeah, you're right. Unfortunately, in many churches, uh, 
issues of family are mm-hmm. taught, issues of personal uh, character and piety, as we might say, mm-hmm. our personal life with Christ. But uh, oftentimes the the messages, the illustrations, the the mm-hmm. passages don't directly seem to touch on workplace issues, and yet that's where people spend the majority of their time. Yeah, and it, it creates kind of this this um, siloing off where work becomes something separate, and you you lose that the integrated life, and so you know. Because, like you said, the applications tend to focus on the family, your personal life, um, then you just create this area, yeah, the dichotomy where there is no one speaking into the workplace, and Christianity becomes a um, leisure time activity. Mm. It's not something that actually integrates all through life. It's just what you do in your spare time. A Sunday hobby. Yeah, exactly. There's no Sunday-Monday bridge between those. Well, and one thing I've noticed about young adults in particular is if something isn't relevant to their day-to-day experience, they just leave it behind. Yeah. And this may explain why uh, the statistics are showing that uh, millennials uh, in large numbers seem to be leaving churches. Mm-hmm. So yeah. th- this whole faith and work integration could be a, a, f- a, a fantastic way, not mm-hmm. that that's necessarily the underpinnings of it, but a fantastic way to have outreach to millennials mm-hmm. and uh, help them become uh, part of the life of a church in order that the church can help them live, as you said, an integrated life mm-hmm. and not this uh, compartmentalized. Yeah, I think existence. it's a huge it's a huge draw. And when I, when I tell my you know, fellow uh, millennials about what I'm doing, they all love it. They think it's great because they, they yearn for that, that integration. They yearn for their work to have meaning. They yearn to have um, their work matter and to be able to show them how it does is really powerful to them. Excellent. So you went through the first year of the fellowship, Mm -hmm. and then, Tristan, this past year, you have been our Garrison Fellow, and you had actually been a pastor for several years before you came to Dallas Seminary. And uh, what drew you to this fellowship, and and what was your experience with it? Yeah, so I um, was a bivocational pastor. Meaning? Uh, I worked as well as pastor of the church at the same time. And and by the way, (laughs) even though that's not necessarily the norm in the United States that's actually quite common around the world, but go ahead. Yeah, so I worked full-time and pastored full-time, and um, I always felt like there was this struggle in the workplace trying to figure out how can I best live out my faith uh, while I'm at work, because we spend so many waking hours at our places of employment, and I want that to be a meaningful time period for God and for His kingdom. and so. Uh, I was really interested in seeing how that maybe I could better be able to do that, but I'll not only do that in the as my job, but also as a pastor. Mm. I felt like that um, that wasn't really an area that I spoke much to or preached a whole lot about outside maybe the realm of evangelism. Right. And um, I just you know I feel like God has us in this season of preparation at the seminary, and I feel like that you know He's equipping me to. Wants me to be equipped to be able to speak to that area of life because it's such a critical area that that people focus on and spend so much time in the workplace. You have a wonderful story that I want you to tell uh, about uh, a man who I guess it was your grandfather knew that that had a lot to do with you getting into the ministry in the first place. Yes, yeah, into so, vocational Christian work. Yes, yeah, so. Um, my grandpa was a coal miner for about 40 years, wow. and uh, there was a guy that he worked with who um, 
who was a pastor, bivocational pastor, and uh, my grandpa talked about him so highly that that um, that he just he he was a faithful presence in the workplace, and he was. So the, type, he, the pastor was also working in the mine. Mm-hmm, yeah, he was a coal miner wow. full time. Okay. Yeah, cool. Full time coal miner, full time <laughs> pastor, and uh, but people thought so highly of him at lunchtime. They would take their lunch buckets and go find him to eat lunch with him because they just wanted to be around him. He was just that kind of guy. Hmm. And uh, so uh, when my grandpa passed away, he had my grandpa's funeral. And we met the guy for the first time, and I, I felt like we were meeting a celebrity because my grandpa <laughs> talked so highly about him, and the only way he knew him was from his job, from his workplace. Wow. And so we started going to church there, and I felt like God was calling me into the ministry, and I told him about it. And he gave me opportunity in the church to preach and work on pastoral skills. And I just thought about, you know, it was because of his faithful presence in the workplace mm-hmm. that set off this chain of events that opened the door for me to be able to do ministry 40 yeah. years down the road. So amazing. Yeah, God is amazing. Well, I, I, I suppose there was a time historically when it was much more common for a pastor with a you know, a smaller congregation in a smaller village or something, mm-hmm. to visit people's farms, to visit their shop, to visit their, mm-hmm. you know, place where they they worked because the pastor was part of the community and mm-hmm. just got around and saw what people were doing. Whereas today, in these global cities that so many knowledge workers live and work in, you know, pastors have their, you know, uh, campus where they hang out, and yeah. then the workers are all dispersed across the city. Mm-hmm. And it it would almost feel odd if a pastor said, uh, "Hey, Kevin, can I come visit your cubicle today?" Mm-hmm. You know, yeah. you'd be like, well, "What's up with that?" And yeah. yet, in a, in effect, that's kind of what you guys have done. Yeah, a half a day for two semesters to go visit people's workplace. How did that work out uh, for those for those people and for you? Um, it was a great experience. I mean, that was one of the highlights was being able to visit people's work. So what we do is, um, the seminary would get us in contact with with a Christian business leader, and we would email with them and coordinate with them, and then we'd show up. And uh, the reception we got was incredible. I mean, they were so honored that Hmm. um, not even a pastor, but just a student, like a Dallas Seminary student would show up at their workplace and take an interest in what they did. What do you think that was? Um, I think for a lot of them, for, for for a lot of business people, I think they see their pastors just being interested in their personal devotional life or their family life and not really interested in their work life. They may say, hey, how's work going? Mm-hmm. Oh, it's going good, or oh, it's not going good. Oh, okay, you know, and then the the pastor moves on. Um, but to actually have someone in a in that type of um, authority, that type of uh, spiritual realm, come in and say, "Hey, you know, tell me what you do. Tell me why you do it. Why do you make the decisions you do? What do you love about your job? What do you struggle with at your job?" That was a huge honor for them, and a lot of them, you know, said, "Man, I wish my pastor would would come see what I do. I wish I wish my pastor would take an interest in what I did, uh, and not just in a passing way, but in an intentional way." So, in a way, we're sort of asking the question here: Is there any reason why uh, somebody who is in the pastorate couldn't do that? I mean, that that sounds like workers would actually welcome that. Mm-hmm. Uh, pastors sometimes will make a home visit, but why not make a workplace visit? Well, I think some of that too is that. Um, I was talking with another pastor about this, and he said, a lot of times there's just a, a fear of not knowing. I don't know what to say. You know, I don't know because maybe they the haven't job. worked in the everyday work world in a corporation or something. Yeah, I was talking with a pastor who had been in business for a while before he went into the pastorate, and he was saying a lot of times pastors just don't know about their jobs. They don't know what questions to ask. They, 
And so there's kind of this awkward tension there rather than the pastor going in with the humble attitude of learning saying, hey, tell me, tell me more about what you do. You know, allow me to learn here. Hmm. Tristan, what were some of the kinds of businesses that you visited? Yeah, so um, we went to uh, some Edward Jones offices, financial and they do advisors. financial planning, right? Yeah. Um, went to a restaurant, ice cream uh, <laughs> shop. Uh, we went to. Well, that, that sounds like fun. <laughs> yeah, it was great. <laughs> I took my kids back there oh, later. We got did. ice cream. <laughs> <laughs> um, we went to a, a travel agency that books uh, trips, <laughs> um, car dealership. Um, so just uh, a lot of different types of work environments. Went to a couple construction companies. I uh, got to wear a hard hat and go out on the job site. <laughs> wow. A uh, couple places I went to, it was actually really cool because they actually put me to work where, where I went. <laughs> and so it was just, it was good to be able to get in and rub elbows with the people doing the work that they were mm-hmm. doing and getting to talk about theology and God and, and all Were they the interested stuff. in that? Yeah, it was amazing. Uh, we were in an office and there were several guys, we were all working on a project, rubbing elbows, and they had differing opinions on things and they were able to very calmly talk about their opinions and, and their interpretations of things and mm-hmm. we never missed a beat. We kept on working and it was amazing. So it mm-hmm. sounds like as, as you engage with these workers, they certainly had questions or they had opinions or whatever. It sounds like you didn't feel like a pressure that you had to have all the answers. Yeah, and I think a lot of it too is I came in, both of us came in with, a, with an attitude of we're learning. You know, we're, we're here to learn about what you do. And I think that type of attitude really opens the door for people to ask questions because you know, they, they know you're not coming in saying, here, I have all the answers. I'm going to come in and start, like, lecturing you, but it's, hey, I'm coming in and tell me what you do and why do you do it. And, um, that that opens the doors for, for great conversations because then they get to say, well, why are you here? And then yeah. it actually op- it, it allows you, it gives you a platform to share about the concept of faith and work being integrated. When they asked you why are you here, what did you tell them? Well, I would tell them I'm a student at Dallas Seminary. I'm training to go into pastoral ministry, and I have a passion of knowing what, you know, what people face in the workplace. And I want to know um, the various issues you deal with. What are, what are the things you love? What are the things you hate? What are the things that I could do as a pastor? So a lot of it was me looking forward and saying, hey, I'm going to be in the pastoral ministry one day. What are things that I should know so that I can help people like you? And... They loved that question. That, I think that question was really powerful because a lot of them were floored. They're saying no one has ever asked me that question. Wow. And uh, I think it was really powerful. Just to echo what Kevin said, I felt that that was one of the highlights for me as well is giving folks who maybe not necessarily didn't have – they didn't really maybe have a voice in matters of the church, but – they were able to give me suggestions and input and their yeah. insights from the pew about what we could do better as a pastor, be more efficient with. Mm. So I thought it was – I just took a very humble approach, like, tell me what you think and how yeah. you feel. And so it, was, so it seems to me you're, you demonstrated uh, what we would call a form of servant leadership in that you mm-hmm. came in the posture of a learner, not mm-hmm. with somebody who had all the answers. It's more like, I want to I wanna find out what you know that I might benefit from or what your experience is that would help me do a better job of pastoring somebody like you. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Did you did you run into any workplaces or any any kinds of work that you came away thinking, 
that is tough work. I would not want to have to do that. I, I'm, I'm thinking about your grandfather and the, and the guy in the mine, the coal mine. To me, that seems like tough work. I'm not sure I'd want to do that, but we don't have any coal mines here in, yeah. in the Metroplex. I think probably one of the toughest was probably the construction work, those uh-huh. guys being out in the elements, especially like today, it's over 100 degrees <laughs> and yeah. working or on a roof, putting on shingles when it's really hot. And so. so what do you think would be, from a pastoral perspective, um, the kinds of issues those guys are facing up there on that hot roof, you know, the sun's beating down and and it's reflecting off that, you know, that black tar kind of paper mm-hmm. that they put on there. Yeah, yeah. What what would be pastorally? You think some of the the challenges those guys are dealing with? Yeah, I'm sure probably they're they're wondering, you know, how does this really matter to God, or mm-hmm. you know, is this who else does anybody care? what I'm doing. Is is anybody concerned about the type of work I'm doing? There's probably also in a day like today when it's over 100 degrees, there's probably thinking of an element of suffering suffering (laughs) while they're up there. Yeah. Yeah. um, One of the places I visited was a startup. It was actually the ice cream company that was a startup started by a guy who's an entrepreneur. And Mm -hmm. I think that's a tough life in and of itself because you have so much on the line. As an entrepreneur, you invest you know, you put your savings down sometimes, you do a mortgage on your house, you know, a lot of times you invest everything. And mm. so if if it fails, so so do you. And it's right. uh, so I think there's that pressure. And, you know, I saw that with this guy and um, both my dad and my father-in-law are also entrepreneurs. And so I've seen people who invest a lot on the line. They put a lot out there and it's a risk. And so like they, they come to church with that burden knowing that I have to make this work because if I don't, you know, it's not that I just lose a job, I lose everything I've invested in it. And so I think knowing that, that they're carrying that burden in, I think adds, it adds a way of pastorally caring for them. Absolutely. It, it also sounds like the makings of a, of a great sort of analogy for mm-hmm. a sermon, you know, that, that yeah. this guy's put, all, it's put it all on the line, yeah. and if it doesn't work, and yeah. it's you know I think of of you know God having put all on the line for our salvation. I mean He mm-hmm. put everything He had when He sent His Son into our salvation. Yeah. And obviously, being God, He knew that was what I needed to do. But uh, mm-hmm. from from the standpoint of risk, yeah. it it sort of helps you sort of grasp what was what was in God's heart mm-hmm. that He would risk all that. Yeah. And uh, but it also helps that. Entrepreneur and the people that know entrepreneurs in a congregation realize, wow, my pastor kind of gets it. He mm-hmm. he really empathizes with my situation here. Yeah, and that's got to mean a lot. Yeah, I mean, I think, like you said, it, doing a fellowship like this definitely impacts how you preach as well. You're not just yeah. You know, talk more about that. Yeah, because I mean, using that ex- you could use that example in, in a sermon, and yeah, the the person in your pew who is in that situation hears that and goes, wow, they understand. Um, you can use illustrations that connect with people's workplaces, and that that validates their experiences in a sense, because then they're you're not just using examples from the, the home life or from their personal devotional life, but you're using an example that's very relevant and tangible to them. I mean, mm-hmm. one of the things you're taught in preaching mm-hmm. classes is to make things tangible. Kind of like the parables? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> in the, in the, in the gospel. And Jesus did that. I mean, he knew the people around him. He was able to use farming analogy, like very earthy analogy that everyone knew and everyone got. Mm. Tristan, how how will it affect your preaching? Yeah, so I know the sites that I went to, there was always 
a one-liner that was like a punch in the gut that I after I left the rest of the you week. You mean like a slogan on the wall or yeah, something? Yeah, or like somebody would say something, oh, so, okay. and, and I would be, I would just like meditate on it, dwell on it for the entire week. It was just so impactful. Hmm. And, um, um, you know, just also all the, the illustrations. Um, I talked to pastors that say they, they use a workplace illustration in their sermon every week or maybe even including some of the people in your congregation. Uh, I was talking to a guy who said that he empowered the people in his church to, to give him illustrations that wow. they had encountered themselves from their work or th- through their own activities, and he tried to use one of those every week. Well, that has to really connect and, and again, show those people that their pastors in their world in yeah. a very, very powerful way. Mm-hmm. Talk to me about uh, from some, from a theological standpoint, because here at the mm-hmm. seminary we do theology, which which means we really try to understand God's mm-hmm. mind on given subjects. Yeah. What what were some of the theological issues that you uh, became more aware of or got more insight into as a result of uh, participating in these fellowships? Um, I think one of the big things is realizing. Going back to what I said at the beginning, the integrated life that I think we've separated our life, we've separated things into to spheres that aren't connected, mm-hmm. and realizing that God cares about what we do, and He cares, and what we do actually is a way of giving glory to God, and it's a way of, I mean, I think the problem is we have such a narrow view of work that I work just for a paycheck, right? so that then I can give it to the church. Where actually, no, your work brings glory to God. It provides a platform for which you can share the gospel. I mean, I have a, I, I know a guy who's an atheist, and you know he has Christian coworkers, and because they're lazy and they don't work hard, mm. it, he doesn't respect them. So they can share the gospel with them, but it doesn't matter because he doesn't respect them because of their work. And um, Well, that's so important. We we have a, a a friend that I know you guys know Steve Ramzur who mm-hmm. works uh, for a big real estate conglomerate and we have a podcast with him on his experience of doing that mm-hmm. and that's one of the points that he made is that you you have to do your work with excellence as a Christian because that's what gives you credibility with your coworkers if mm-hmm. if people don't respect mm-hmm. your work it doesn't matter what you say it, yeah. in in a sense it doesn't even matter how nice or kind or generous a person you are. Yeah. They, they won't listen to you. Yeah, your work speaks for itself, and the yeah. quality of your work speaks in a way that's powerful. I mean, I have um, I have a brother-in-law who's in advertising, and because he, he puts so much effort into his work and he really tries to make a good product, it's given him a platform because his, his bosses can come to him and say, hey, you know, not only do you do good work, but you have a great attitude about it, and you know, they, they will listen to him when he talks. This episode is brought to you by The Truce Podcast. I'm sure you've been there. You're at an event, a dinner, a small group, and someone says something like, If you're a Christian, you have to vote Republican. Huh. That raises an interesting question. How did evangelicals like me get to the place where we just assumed we'd all vote one way? This season on The Truce Podcast, we're diving deep into the complexity of the 1970s and 80s to understand how evangelicals tied themselves to the Republican Party. It's a story that involves murder, corruption, redemption, and our need to be heard. 
I'll be talking with celebrated historians like Rick Perlstein, Pulitzer Prize winners Francis Fitzgerald and Jesse Isinger, and some of the best guests I've ever had. Truce is the show that uses journalistic tools to look inside the Christian church. We press pause on the culture wars in order to explore how we got here and how we can do better. Subscribe to Truce anywhere you get podcasts or listen at trucepodcast.com. So let me take the point that you just made about the theological principle that, that we need a broader view of work and that our work matters to God and that it, it, it's intended to glorify God. Let's let's apply it sort of pastorally to the guy that Kristen mentioned, who's up there, you know, on the roof with his coworkers, uh, in the hot sun, you know, uh, sweating like a dog and just hating life and wondering, you know, why do I have to do this job? And I always, I should have listened to my mom more and studied <laughs> harder in school. And you know, it, this 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 work has to be a curse. Mm-hmm. Like, where would you even start with a guy like that? Because there's a lot of them out there. I mean, I think you could just start with the incarnation. When Jesus came down, he didn't come down and sit and you know, like sit around and not work. He worked for the majority of his life before he even started his ministry. He was a he was a carpenter. He worked with his hands. Mm. He was you know out there in the sun. Probably this was a guy who understood probably to sweat. Probably yeah. more so. He probably related more so with the guy on the roof than the person sitting in a cubicle because he yeah. he knew what it was like to be out in the hot sun and to to work hard like that. So. Yeah, and then uh, talk to this guy about his work somehow glorifies God. That for many people is a hard thought to put together. Well, I think um, the Bible says that whatever we do, do it as unto the Lord, hmm. and that means everything—not just what we do at church, but you know the things that we do in our job. And I think if we see that um, I'm putting this roof on. But I'm going to do it the best that I can mm-hmm. for the glory of God, because I don't know why. Maybe that I'm putting this roof on. Maybe it's to shelter families who are oppressed or are in some kind of, you know, diverse or difficult financial situation. That right. you know, we we don't always know the stories behind everything, mm-hmm. but we have to do everything that we do for God's glory, um, so that He gets all the credit for it. Right. Yeah. Well, and, and as you point out, it's a somewhat of a by-faith effort. We also don't know what the fruit of our labors, who that's going to benefit, and how. You know, one of the things that uh, we often talk about, uh, we, meaning Dr. Bach and I, talk about, is the is the web of economic relationships that there are in the world. And, mm-hmm. and so, you know, he likes to take a bowl of Wheaties, you know, yeah. and say, what did it take to bring that bowl of Wheaties to you? And, well, you know, mm-hmm. somebody had to grow the – wheat that goes in there and somebody else got mm-hmm. the milk that you know goes in there and of course somebody had to transport that stuff to the store and of course the store had to employ people to sell it and and somebody had to finance all that and somebody had to educate the people that did mm-hmm. all that work and somebody has to care for their uh, health needs and somebody has yeah. to care for their spiritual needs mm-hmm. and, and pretty soon you realize that even something seemingly as simple as putting a roof on that's part of a wide web of interlocking relationships, yeah. which Genesis 1 says is intended to cause the world and its people to flourish. And I think it also connects with the body imagery that Paul hmm. uses about the church. The different gifts. You have all these these <clears throat> parts that need they need each other to function. And I think seeing our work as a necessary part of causing society to flourish 
is a powerful way of looking at it because I think a lot of times we we put jobs in certain categories. We say mm-hmm. this is a more important job than this. Mm-hmm. You know, this is a, high, a job of higher honor. But Paul says, don't do that in the body of Christ because don't say that oh this person does this therefore they're more valuable. Every part is needed. Even the ones that seem menial are actually really important because without them, it can, the body can't function properly. And so even in the economy. We shouldn't. I think there's a tendency to talk down about you know blue collar jobs or mm-hmm. you working know, class jobs, mm-hmm. yeah, or entry level jobs mm-hmm. as if they're they're of less quality. But if we don't have those, our economy our economy stalls out. That's right. We need that. You know, it reminds me of a hotel here in the Metroplex that uh, is owned and operated by a Christian family, uh, actually a very large hotel. Uh, there were some people in West Dallas, which, as you know, is an impoverished community, mm-hmm. and they needed jobs. Uh, but they needed jobs where they didn't, you know, some of them didn't have uh, high school educations. Uh, some of them, frankly, don't speak English, mm-hmm. but they they need to work. And so, what this hotel did was arrange to uh, transport these folks to the hotel from West Dallas and train them mm-hmm. in how to service the rooms. And you know, from one point of view, you think. Oh, great! The, give you a job of cleaning the toilet, you know. Mm-hmm. But if you ask those people, they don't see it that way, because what that hotel has done is help them see that you're not just cleaning a bathroom here; mm-hmm. you're providing a clean and hospitable place for travelers and people that come to the city to visit, to work, uh, to, to carry on transactions, and so forth. You're providing them with a, mm-hmm. a place that's inviting. And that's healthy, and you have a huge part in that. Mm-hmm. And and the people are they they get a tremendous sense of meaning in their work, and 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 of course it helps that they also get paid to do that work, and yeah. and so it's a win win for all concerned. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So it's kind of like the guy who said, uh, "I have to mow my yard today." When you, it's all in perspective, if you think about, no, I get to mow my yard. <laughs> I have a yard that I get to mow. Yeah. yeah. So a- yeah. A- absolutely. So. Um, as you've interacted with other students on campus, are you guys seen as a bit of an odd duck? You know, most people are not going to workplaces. They're going to internships and mm-hmm. in churches to, you know, learn how to work with youth or learn how to do discipleship programs or, you know, whatever. Yeah, I think the students are, are interested in the mm-hmm. issues of faith and work. Um, I started my internship a couple months ago, uh-huh. and one of the initial things that we have to do is make a post, a video of ourselves, um, tell a little bit about who we are, and then we have to ask a question for the group to respond to. And I asked the group, what is something that you think I should focus on as a pastor that maybe you didn't see your pastor do well mm-hmm. that I could do or focus on? And the first person that posted a video said, Tristan, if you're going to be a pastor, I think that you should get experience in the workplace. Wow. <laughs> because I never heard my pastor speak about that at all. So I thought, man, that that, that is that is so cool. And you were able to say, check, I got that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yes, I think the students are, are very interested and know that it's uh, something that people in the church are need to hear about. Yeah. Mm-hmm. What's been your experience with other students, Kevin? Yeah, I mean, I, I echo what Tristan said, and there's a lot of interest. And when you bring it up, it prompts discussion. Um, I was in a spiritual formation group for two years on campus where you get together with, with guys and you talk about really deep spiritual issues. And one of the topics we actually talked a lot about was faith and work, the integration of our faith and our work. And it came up because of my my fellowship. And um, I have a, one of the guys in the group wants to, you know, 
go to Japan and and be a missionary. And Japan has a you know very intense workplace culture. And because of the fellowship, because we talked about it, you know he's now excited to see an integration of faith and work in a Japanese context. So just because of that discussion, you know he wants to go find a way to speak into that work culture. So I think that's that's been one of the cool um, outcomes of this. So. The, the intent of this fellowship is in in no way to uh, say that you know the the work that pastors do in, at a, <clears throat> at, a, at their church aside you know from the preaching they've got responsibilities mm-hmm. usually with committee work and board work and pastoral care and visits and just all the things that pastors have in their plates which is enormous it's a very difficult job we're we're not saying they should stop all that and somehow uh, mm-hmm spend all their day in people's workplaces, but we're saying keep doing that, but do it from the standpoint that the people you're trying to pastor mm-hmm. are workers, and you need to understand their context. Yeah, and one of the past, one of the pastors I met with, um, who, he was a guy I mentioned earlier, he was a business person before he became a pastor, you know, one of the things he does is he tries to get lunch several times a week with different people from his church, and he asks them specifically about their work. Mm. He has some really specific questions, and he tries to understand that so that he can in- integrate that stuff, you know, like Tristan said, into the sermon. And I think just that interest in their work, um, it doesn't have to be you devote this huge span, span of time, but even just the small things about checking in on them and seeing how they're doing is really powerful. Yeah, I think the relational aspect of it is so powerful. Um, a lot of people maybe necessarily don't know their pastor very well. They see mm-hmm. him on Sunday morning and they hear him speak and they really don't know a whole lot about him other than what he discloses from the pulpit. But I know in my experience through the fellowship, being able to go to different workplaces, I was able to build relationships with people, friendships that and in turn I felt like they were they were mentoring me as well. They yeah. were able to have some meaningful relationships in so much that one of the guys, um, even during my preaching classes, he came and offered support. He came and sat in the class while I was preaching <laughs> in PM 104. Wow. So, yeah. I think a pastor needs those meaningful relationships as well, because I know for me, sometimes you feel like yeah. you don't, really don't have a lot of those. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. You know, the Gallup polling organization keeps track of a statistic that they call employee engagement, and that mm-hmm. means the extent to which a worker feels uh, engaged with their work. That is, they find meaning in it, they feel a sense of connection at, a, at an emotional soul level with it. it. It means something to them, it's important to them, and they would say they, they really love their job. They, they certainly uh, feel it's, it's an important part of their life. Uh, they've been keeping that statistic since about 2000, and basically uh, what it shows is that about 70% of American workers are not engaged with their work. Mm-hmm. It's just a job, yeah. you know. It's just a necessary evil. You gotta, you gotta make some money. Mm-hmm. So they go to work, but you know, their heart's not in it. Mm-hmm. You know, whenever I, I go to the airport and get in a plane, and I, I like the window seat, and I look out there, and I watch the guys, you know, that are working on the engine mm-hmm. to get, you know, the flight ready. I often think, you know, I hope that guy is part of the thirty percent that. <laughs> You know, feels engaged with their work. I, I hope yeah. you didn't come to work today thinking, oh, let's get this over with, you know, because <laughs> yeah. he might miss a step in there, you know. 
uh, I was yeah. in the, the at the dentist yesterday, you know, and imagine uh, going to the dentist and you're you're sitting there in the waiting room and the dentist comes back late from lunch and you're the next appointment and he, you know, as he walks through, he says to the receptionist, "All right, let's get this over with." You know, yeah. I mean, <laughs> we we need people that are engaged in their work, mm-hmm. but this is apparently a huge problem in our culture. Which, I mean, on average, that means that seventy percent of the people in a given congregation their heart is not in their work. Mm-hmm. And uh, what are some things you think pastors could do to help people who are in that condition? Yeah, so I think uh, – I, I know for myself, I made the pastoral mistake of preaching from the pulpit that all that matters is that we get saved mm-hmm. and nothing else matters after that. Mm. And, uh, you know, I realize now how wrong that, that statement was <laughs> um, because now that I know – God and I'm connected to God. Everything should matter now, not uh, just church. But right. since God is in my life, that He should pervade and inform every aspect of my life. And I think helping folks realize that mm-hmm. um, helps them realize that. So when I, you know, helps them to see their workplace as maybe a, a mission field that they can go to, and if they view it as that way, that I think maybe will be more engaged. And when you're engaged. Mm-hmm. You're looking for opportunities, um, opportunities to be the hands and feet of Christ, opportunities to um, just uh, be a faithful presence, maybe in the workplace. And all right, what do you think? Yeah, I think uh, I think there's a, a need for a pastoral voice to speak into workplace issues. Mm-hmm. So you know, you think about it. You know, people who are struggling in their marriage will often go to a pastor for counseling and for advice on mm-hmm. how to fix their marriage. But people don't often think. Oh, I'm struggling at my work. I should go to my pastor for advice. But I think if if pastors could put themselves in that situation where their congregation knows they're available, so if you know, like, oh, I'm dealing with a bad boss, they can go to their pastor and say, hey, you know, here's this situation I'm dealing with. How should I? How can I handle this? And the pastor can then speak into it. I think that'll help workplace engagement because I think a lot of Christians in the pews are they go to work and they feel like they're alone there and that mm-hmm. no one, you know. All they know how to do is maybe complain to their fellow coworkers. But if they had a pastoral voice, they could talk to and get um, reflection on. I think that would help them. Well, and there's a big theological piece here too, because I think theologically, many in the seventy percent, I'm, I'm willing to bet, mm-hmm. they view work as a curse. Yeah. You know, Bill, why do you think they call it work? I yeah. mean, that, that's kind of their attitude. You're not supposed to like it. Yeah. And yet we know from Genesis and other passages. Work is not a curse. Mm-hmm. Work, work was instituted before the fall. It was certainly affected by uh, the fall, but work itself is inherently good. So if we run into a person for whom their work feels like a curse, then pastorally mm-hmm. seems like we have both a responsibility as well as an opportunity to begin to speak into that mm-hmm. and, first of all, reframe their theology, but then ask the question, so if your work is something you're having a difficult time putting your heart into, you know, you've mentioned Colossians 3.23, do your work heartily as unto the Lord. It's, it's very difficult to put heart into work that your heart's not in. You know, now you have to gin up energy. Yeah. And I think this brings us in part to the issue of job fit and, mm-hmm. and whether one's giftedness yeah. that, that we've talked about on other podcasts is being well used in the work that the person has. Mm-hmm. I think pastors are in an ideal slot to talk to the person about 
let's evaluate the fit that you've got here between who you mm-hmm. are and your strengths and your motivation yeah. and what you're being asked to do and ask the question, is, do you think this is the best job to use what God has given you? Mm-hmm. Because if not, uh, that person will be frustrated. Mm-hmm. It, it just always works that way. So. Yeah. yeah, I think that's because when people talk about going back to say what work is a curse, it's amazing that the same, same people will then go off and on the side invest so much in a hobby or some other passion where they're actually working tremendous really energy, <laughs> and they're but they believe in what they're doing and they see value in what they're doing and they love to do what they do. And so, as a pastor, making those connections, saying, "No, actually, your problem is not work. Your problem is maybe the type of." job you're in or your your attitude towards work or maybe management or something so that, that you can then Absolutely. address. Well, think about it. You know, somebody comes to you as a pastor and says, you know, pastor, I just, I'm under so much stress or pastor, I, I'm just feeling depressed these days and I don't know what what's up with that or pastor, would you pray for me because I just seem mm-hmm. to get into conflicts at work a lot or, yeah. you know, there's always sort of the presenting issue, but then you you, you have to think, so where's the source of that? Yeah, and think how much stress and depression and uh, addictions and other problems that humans get into mm-hmm. might sort of I don't want to say just go away, but certainly minim- begin begin to be minimized if people mm-hmm. suddenly found themselves doing work that really was important to them and they mm-hmm. they felt valued, they felt like you know this is this is worth my effort and I'm getting paid to do it. You know, like these folks that I mentioned working yeah. at the at the hotel cleaning those mm-hmm. rooms. That you know that that's not easy work, but that's a lot better life than you know mm-hmm. sitting on a porch in West Dallas with nothing to do. Yeah. Oh, nothing's good's going to come from that. Yeah. So, you you mentioned I thought it was a great point, Kevin, that that the pastors are <laughs> pastors need to do what pastors are are supposed to do, which is to be pastors, to to mm-hmm. act pastorally, serve yeah. pastorally. Mm-hmm. The people that that are in their congregations, um, and I don't want to overlook the fact that many times what people in the workplace need mm-hmm. is a prayer, mm-hmm. or is a word of encouragement from mm-hmm. Scripture, yeah, or a perspective, uh, sort of theologically on God's mind on a given matter. Uh, it's interesting that we apply the spiritual disciplines to certain, you know. Uh, spiritual categories. So, you know, if somebody's going to go on a mission trip, we call them down front and we pray over them. And, yeah. you know, if 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 somebody's going to get married, you know, we might even encourage them to spend some time fasting and praying over the the marriage that's coming up and mm-hmm. and this type of thing. But I don't know. When's the last time you ever heard, you know, somebody go to their pastor and say, "Listen, I need to call a prayer meeting because I'm getting ready to make a key hire." And we can't get this wrong, and I just need the Lord's mind on this thing. Yeah. Would you help me organize that? Mm-hmm. Or, you know, a, a board that's getting ready to sell a company, you know, say, guys, this is going to affect so many people and so mm-hmm. much money's involved. We're just going to have to, uh, to, to devote, you know, three days of, of prayer and fasting to this before we pull the trigger on that deal. Mm-hmm. You know, would we see in the workplace mm-hmm. – some spectacular moves of God in ways that we see similar movements of God in mm-hmm. the mission field, you know, or in you know crisis situations where uh, we we've got to fix a problem and and unless God shows up, we're in trouble. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think that's 
I think you would, number one, see God moving more because we're actually focusing our prayer on that. We're actually focusing our energies on that. And I think you would also see, it goes back to the people seeing their work differently. When you Mm -hmm. are praying, when you are publicly praying over someone's work, it suddenly adds value to it. And I think the problem is in the church, what we've done is because we only pray for missionaries and people doing, Mm -hmm. you know, quote unquote ministry, therefore those are the most spiritual categories that you know unless you're a pastor missionary bible teacher or something like that you're you're a second class citizen right but if we could elevate that suddenly it changes everything where people say no my my work does matter because my pastor took the time to pray for me you know when i was about to make a um, a decision about where i should work or um you know a, a big deal i was about to make yeah Tristan, yeah, was, your I, thoughts was, uh, I was a pastor for 11 years and I don't think I ever heard anything like that. <laughs> Anybody ask for a prayer request like that? And maybe it was my fault. I, I'm, I'm going to take ownership of that because I don't think I created a place that maybe they felt comfortable or maybe they felt valued and valued in what they were doing to be able to ask something like that. Well, yeah. I, I remember you telling me the story once of of uh, back when you were uh, in the pastorate <clears throat> before coming to the seminary. You realized after this fellowship or in the middle of the fellowship that you would frequently you'd say something to the congregation like let's just let's just push aside all the sort of things that don't matter or something like that. Do you remember what I'm talking about? Yeah. So um, I, we would come into church and you know maybe I'm the only one that done this, but I'm pretty sure that I'm not. No. But uh, we would come into church and say something like when service started. Okay, so we're here to worship God tonight. Let's uh, leave everything else outside the door, and let's just uh, you know worship God while we're while we're here. And it was one of those those things that I didn't realize it at the time, but it was it was enforcing that dichotomy, that divide mm-hmm. between faith and work. That you know those things. You know what, what I should have been saying is bring you no know, bring all those things right. in here in your brokenness, and right. let's let's talk to God about them in here while we're here. Yeah. Instead of forgetting about them and pretending like they don't exist and pretend like it's a different part of our life or a different life that we're living, let's bring it all in here to God. Wow. Did you have any sense with any of the folks you you visited that, uh, in, in a way, to talk about their work that not you know there's preaching is one thing but meddling is another you know and and you get into their work and their finances and all that stuff. Um. Are you asking if they thought it was meddling or? Yeah, no, they actually. I mean, they were really excited to share about what they were going through and some of the challenges they were facing. I don't think they saw it as invasive at all. I mean, as long as you're respectful, as long yeah. as you're, yeah, um, you're coming into it with humility. I think people are really eager to talk about their work and they're really eager to talk about what they're facing there. Yeah. So a couple of weeks ago, we went back home to West Virginia to visit, and I actually intentionally preached. A couple of faith and work sermons that I had put together as a result of the fellowship, things that I'd learned and seen and scriptures and um, and so what I received some feedback on that is I had guys come up afterwards and said, "Man, I never thought about my work as worship. Mm. You know, I never thought about yeah. my work as a That's place great. of discipleship." And so it got the wheels turning in their own minds about. So things. what you're what you're sort of illustrating here is a, a, a premise I've been working with recently. That the success of a church is, in a sense, not so much what happens on Sunday inside mm-hmm. the church. It's what happens on Monday when the people that were going to church go into the workplace. 
Yeah, I mean, we're going to have to wrap it up here. Sorry. Yeah. But thank you for being with us on the Table Podcast today, where we look at issues of culture and and God. We invite you to look at other Table Podcasts on the Hendricks Center website, and uh, we'll see you back for the next podcast. Thanks for listening to the Table Podcast. For more podcasts like this one, visit dts.edu slash the table. Dallas Theological Seminary. Teach truth. Love well.